Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Rachel Overbowl with me. Rachel is certified in the somatic sex and intimacy coaching method and works with individuals and couples to move beyond shame and step into their desires. Rachel is the author of the feminist book, Finding Feminism. She is a fellow queer and kink friendly practitioner, and I am super excited to have her here with me today. Rachel, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Yeah, thank you, Becky. I'm super excited to be here. Um, That's a long, (laughs) long answer. Um, So I grew up in a fundamentalist religious cult, Um, very patriarchal, very... um, restrictive in everything especially sexuality and female not even female sexuality but also female power as well um and I left that in my early 20s um I started leaving around 20 and like fully left in around 22 and in that religion I was engaged really young I had a very abusive engagement um to someone and a lot of trauma from that and then a lot of trauma from religious oppression as well. And so when I left, I felt so alone. First of all, I had no one because in the religion, it was like you could only be friends with people in the religion. So I was, I literally left and I had nothing and no one. And I felt just kind of like, I was like barely head above water. Like I was watching this, this, uh, this movie the other day, I care a lot. And there's this scene where she almost starts drowning. I was like, that's exactly how I felt for many years where it was like, I'm trying to get out of this car that is like sinking underwater. And I cannot figure out how to get out of this car and get breath. Um, And so I kind of floundered around for a while. And I did, I knew that there was issues, but so many of the issues within my trauma, I had never been taught were trauma or things that would affect me my entire life. Um, Cause the majority of the answers I had known growing up was like, you just pray about it. You just pray about it. There's no such thing as depression. There's no such thing as anxiety. There's no such thing as PTSD. You just pray about it and give it to God. So I had no idea that all of these things I was experiencing as I was leaving was CPTSD, was depression, was anxiety, was suicidal thoughts. Like, and so I got into therapy. Thank God I had uh, a couple of friends who helped me and encouraged me to do that. I did talk therapy for a while. And then I did art therapy and I did equine therapy and I did a lot of different therapies throughout my twenties. And there was always something that I felt like was missing. Like I always felt like there was like, it's like, okay, I'm tackling these big things. I understand kind of what's happened in my life and how it's gotten me to this point, but I feel like there's something missing. And that piece that was missing was really reclaiming my sexuality and reclaiming my pleasure. And so when I started to kind of dive into this work and understand more through reading and through finding people on blogs and on chat rooms, honestly, and like recognizing that a big piece of me that was missing was this healing of my sexual self. And that was why I couldn't figure out how to really heal and why it felt like I was still floundering around, drowning, trying to grab for breath, even though I was doing all of the work. And so I was, that was about, I was about 25. So it's about five years ago. And I started realizing that I had to heal my sexual self. 
And there weren't a lot of people doing that. And there weren't a lot of like, as far as resources, like I didn't really know who to reach out to. I didn't know how to do it. I had a therapist who was a sex or a sex and relationship therapist, but dealt much more with communication. And so whenever I brought up um, sex or intimacy, I think she got nervous about it and she kind of shut it down from her own experiences and trauma. And so I, I was still like, okay, how do I do this? How do I heal this? And so I really went on this journey of like, I've got to figure out how to heal myself in this way. So I've started like taking courses online and going, I went, um, did a course with the Kinsey Institute with um, PESI is like this org, uh, this online website where you can take different courses, did a bunch of courses through there. I just started reading and engaging. And as I started to learn how much trauma is held in our sacred self and our sexual self, I started to recognize how much it had hurt me and how much I needed to learn how to heal from this and how much I wanted to teach other people how to heal. Because as soon as I started healing that, it's like all of the pieces fell into place. Like everything was like, this makes sense. It makes sense why I don't feel confident. It makes sense why I like, I cringe when someone touches me, even a friend, I can't hug them. Like all of these things make sense now. And so it all, like all the pieces fell together. And that is when I was like, okay, this is the basics. This is the building block. Like everyone needs to start with healing their sexual self. And then we can start healing the other pieces of ourselves. And so that's really how I got into this work was for my own experiences and my own traumas and my own struggles. And then recognizing that there weren't a lot of people doing this. And I wanted to become what I didn't have for those five years where I was just struggling and trying to figure it out. I first just want to honor how brave you've been and on such a huge journey that you've been on. Um, And, you know, it's pretty miraculous, really, because the word coming to me is gaslighting. So it's like you were gaslighted, you know, for such a long period of time, but for you to still realize that that's not the truth and you have your own truth and, you know, work damn hard to find it, I just think is incredible. Yeah, that's, that's so true. It was really like, I was unlearning so many things and relearning, like what is authentic to me and trying how to figure out what was authentic to me. It all started with pleasure. Like I had not been allowed to experience pleasure in any aspect. Like pleasure was something that was sinful. I wasn't allowed to experience pleasure in food because food could make me fat. And then I would be unattainable as a wife. I wasn't allowed to experience pleasure in wine because wine is bad and drinking is evil. Like I wasn't allowed to experience pleasure in a late night dinner because women shouldn't be out past 8 p.m. So it's like all of these things where like pleasure was taken away from me. And so re-experiencing and understanding pleasure in all of these aspects is really like coming home and figuring out what is in alignment with me? What do I love? What brings me joy? And how can I re-figure this out after so much had been stolen? Yeah, so beautiful. Everything that you just mm-hmm. said. Um, so today we're going to talk about exactly that, aren't we? We're going to talk about receiving yeah. pleasure and tuning into the senses. Um Yeah. So can you just tell us a little bit more about receiving pleasure? So you just mentioned a few different ways in which people could receive Mm. pleasure. So it doesn't have to be sexual pleasure, right? It is generic pleasure, general pleasure, any pleasure, and then also sexual pleasure as well. So eating, drinking wine, um, what else can be pleasurable? What, what do you find pleasurable? Yeah. So one thing that I really love is I love going on long walks and listening to music. Like that is like so much pleasure for me and just kind of like 
feeling all of the sensations on my body as I like feel a breeze or like the sun and just enjoying all of that. That's something that really helps me come into with my body because like pleasure, when I, when I talk to clients about this, pleasure is intentional time spent with your body. And so I'll have clients be like, well, I just did a really hard workout and that was pleasurable. It's like, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about intentional time spent with your body for no other reason, but to spend time with your body. There's not a goal of anything else, but spending time with your body and experiencing different sensations and experiencing pleasure. And so I also have clients, a lot of clients that have sexual trauma. And so for them, when we start this pleasure practice idea, the idea of touching themselves is like way too hard. They can't do it. And so we start with these small things of like, I want you to take a bath and feel like the warm water on your skin and tell me how that feels. And so pleasure, a lot of times you just think about like masturbation, right? And that is an awesome pleasure practice, but that's kind of an advanced pleasure practice for a lot of people. Yeah. And so it's really important to start small um, as you're starting this pleasure practice and understanding what is pleasure, what feels good in my body. Yeah, and exactly what you were saying. I think people, when we talk about pleasure, we think sex. We think sex, we think masturbation, we think orgasms. And when I have mm -hmm. clients and they're doing um, homework, you know, touching practices, for example, I might say something like, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel any pleasure. They say, well, it doesn't have to be or orgasmic pleasure, but there can be pleasure in just, you know, tickling yourself gently or, you know, right. caressing or massaging yourself. You know, that is pleasurable. It doesn't have to be an orgasm in the genitals, but there's also no. pleasure in those things. Yes, exactly. Like I love touching my collarbones. Like that feels really good for me. Like just like massaging like fingertips and like, then sometimes I'll do like a little grab around my neck and that feels really nice. It's just kind of comforting. And that feels good in my body. It's like the idea of pleasure. Well, cause we also have to like destigmatize this idea around like pleasure is always supposed to be an orgasm because that's just bullshit. Am I allowed to cuss? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, that's, it's like, it, you can't pleasure does not always mean an orgasm like you can have really great sexual experiences with yourself and with lovers that don't include an orgasm and there's no failure there it doesn't mean anything went wrong like an or orgasm is awesome but it should not be the end goal mm. pleasure should always be the end goal and I think there's so much curiosity and pleasure so if people are like, well, I don't know how to pleasure myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I like sexually or non-sexually, you know, we'll be mm -hmm. curious and try to find the pleasure in the curiosity, you know, learning about yourself is pleasurable in itself. Yes, exactly. That's what I tell, exactly what I tell clients too. <laughs> it's like, you got to get curious. Like, because I think a lot of times I wonder if like energetically, this is the clients that I attract, but a lot of clients are like me and they're very type A. And it's probably just my own energy that I'm attracting <laughs> these clients, but they want like a list and they're like, I want a list of pleasure practices. And I'm like, I can give you ideas, but at the end of the day, like the pleasure practice is up to you to get curious and for you to decide what feels good. You could decide that like, I don't know, rubbing your toes is really, really pleasurable. And that feels really good. And I could be like, I've never done that. And I don't really like that. Like we can all decide because it goes back to like, determining our in our own autonomy what feels good in our bodies and I can't tell you what feels good in your body and you can't tell me what feels good in mine so I'll give you ideas but you have to get creative on your own and that's kind of the beauty of the self-discovery of coming home into our bodies is discovery and pleasure and play and crea creativity and all of those aspects mm. 
So do you think um, these practices should be done solo or do you think they could be like healing and, well, obviously there'll be pleasure, Mm -hmm. but healing in doing them with partners or in groups as well? Yeah, I think that they should be done solo at first Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that you can have attunement with other people until you have attunement with yourself. Yes. And so... I think, yeah, absolutely. Like, say you have a really awesome pleasure practice and you want to go like, enjoy that with someone else. Like some, one of the things that I do with clients and couples work is that like, I have a breathing meditation that I do and I'll do, we do that same breathing meditation, but instead of doing it, we do it separately multiple times. And then when we get together, we kind of go into a tantric aspect of where we're cycling breath, but we're doing the same thing, but we have to do that separately many times before we do it together because we can't. It, because it, I think a lot of time also for women, it goes back into this idea of like, I have to please my partner, I have to please my partner. Yeah. And it gets really out of this self-attunement. And so I don't encourage anyone to do these practices until you feel like you are attuned into your own senses and your own body. Once you know, this is what I like, this is what feels good. I'm attuned in my body and I can also stay present in my body during sex and during intimacy. Then let's try these practices with other people. Yes, exactly. And, you know, in the psychotherapy um, modality that I work in and train in, we call it first position. So first position is where you're like, Mm. I am me, I'm in my first position, and thinking about myself. Second position is where you might be thinking, is my partner enjoying this? Is my partner thinking this? I'm worried what my partner's thinking as they're looking at me. And third position is more like kind of culturally or like a, a greater context. And I feel like everyone thinks in partnered sex, that they should be in second position. So they feel like they should be, uh, is this pleasing my partner? And obviously we want to please our partners, but with the position on yourself. And only when you can be in touch with yourself and tuned into your pleasure. And you know, if you are giving a blowjob and your jaw is aching and your neck is aching and you're really hating it because it's hurting, you know, your partner will probably get more pleasure if you say, can we do something else? Let's move this around. Let's move position because you're tuning into first position, yet also you can give in first position. I love that language. I love that. I have not heard it described that way. And it's like, I love that. Yeah, first position. And you know, it's interesting because I was with a lover earlier this week and I was like, so just, it, it just, the way I engage in intimacy now is so different and so much better than the way I was engaging in intimacy when I was in second position. It's like, it was so just like, I'm feeling myself and I'm like touching myself. And I am like, just so about engaging in my body. And then through that, we had really great sex, but it was all because of, I was in first position first, like, and then the second position came naturally because I'm just so about how good I'm feeling. And he's so good about how he's feeling. And so then it comes together. Yeah, that's exactly it. First position first. And I try to talk about this with clients, but there's almost like a reluctance to believing it. You know, that can't (laughs) be right. That's definitely not true. And, you know, we start with, um, it's called sensei focus, like a touching exercise. And the first couple of steps, I say to them, you're not touching to please your partner. You're not, that's Mm. not what it's about. You're just touching, tuning into the sensations and that's all you need to do. And I find that's a hard pill to swallow to think, well, I'm giving kind of, I mean, I don't use the word giving because it's not really giving, but I'm touching my partner yet I'm not doing it for their pleasure. Um, Yeah. 
it's so I yeah I love I love talking with other um people in our field because I feel like my vocabulary grows and I learn like like I have a different I have a similar exercise and use a different name for it and I love that um yeah and it's one where I work with couples too and I'm and same thing there's a ton of reluctancy they're like wait and I'll even have clients in the middle of this session and we're doing this like touch and I'm telling them you know you're gonna touch um you know Jane and Adam Jane you're gonna touch Adam for you know, five minutes and it's all for your pleasure. And he's not going to react at all. Mm -hmm. He's just going to sit there and he, and he can tell you if something feels like a boundary, that's fine, but he's not going to react to the actual pleasure because it's all about your pleasure. And I, I swear to God, every time I do this, typically the woman, and even in, even in lesbian couples, typically one of the women will be like, does this feel good? And I'm like, we're not asking that. It's not about that. You're, it doesn't feel good for you. Like, yeah. not does it feel good for them. And it's a total shift because we're taught. Like, and I just think the, and I'll keep generalizing it for women because it's how I see a lot of women show up, just how we're socialized, regardless of if we're hetero or non. I see so many, because women are just taught that like, in order to be good women, in order to be good partners, we have to be a martyr. And that martyrdom comes in sexuality too. And it's like, actually, I can be the best fucking partner ever by not being a martyr. That is when I'm the best partner and when I'm in tune with myself first. And that's like a big thing that I work with clients too, is like breaking this idea that I have to be a martyr to be a good partner. Yeah. And, you know, what it actually is in reality is if it feels good for me, it feels good for you. You know, we're both right. vibing off the energies and off the pleasure together. And, you know, probably if the other person knew, that the other person was being a martyr or they weren't enjoying it or their jewel rate or whatever it was, they wouldn't want them to do it. You know, we want our right. partners, most of us hopefully want our partners to be enjoying themselves. So yeah, and it's making me think about boundaries as well. Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of people who I work with say, well, how do I know what my boundaries are? I, you know, I'm just learning about boundaries. I, I, I haven't really set them before. How do I know what they are? And I think if we are living, staying with that terminology in second position, and we are being a martyr and we're thinking about other people, you know, which we do want to do, but more than ourselves. Um, of course, we're not going to know what our boundaries are because we're not in our body. We're thinking about right. everyone and everything else. So a way, I think, for those of you who are having this problem, for those of you who are listening, a way to realize what your boundaries are is to tune into your body even more. So through pleasure practices, through sex, through just by walking down the street and checking in, that's all going to allow you to know, well, does this feel right in my body? You know, does, does this thing I'm thinking about expand my chest? Does it make me feel bigger? In which case it's probably like a, yes, I want to do it. Or does it make you feel like you want to shrivel up? Does it have this kind of Mm -hmm. compacting feeling in which case, you know, probably that's a no. And that's a really good way to learn this about yourself, I think. Yeah. And then explore that too. Like once you get to those feelings, explore like, okay, why does this feel like a no? Is this, is it because I don't feel safe? Is it because I really don't like it? Is it past trauma? Like all of those are valid, valid answers, but really explore like, what is it? Because there are things for me that's been a no. And then the more I explore it, it's like, actually that's a yes. It's just that the way I was experiencing it first didn't feel safe. Yeah. And is that how you tune into your boundaries as well? Or do you have another little tool? Yeah. So I, I, I get really curious. I call it like that I don't it's my own term I don't know if it even makes sense backwards road mapping so I'll like write down a feeling 
And then I basically have this notebook that looks like I am insane. And it's all, it's like the feeling is in the middle of the page. And then there's all of these outshoots from it of like, where could this be stemming from? 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 And getting like really, really um, intentional about this feeling is arising. I'm not going to judge it. I just want to know where is it coming from? And is it a valid feeling or is this a trauma response? Because my body's trying to keep me safe from something in the past that it no longer needs to keep me safe from. Yes. I think that's such a valuable tool that you've just shared for the listeners. I think that's amazing. And um, I really get what you're saying about it being a trauma response and it trying to keep you safe. Because what I've really learned is that everything that we do, you know, so every behavior almost that we do is, does have a good intention. And it might not be obvious. You might have to search really deep for that good intention. You know, why did I react like that? Why did I do this? But if you, you know, brain map it, as you were talking about, if you, or, you know, chunk down to what's underneath that, oh, it was trying to protect me. Oh, it was trying to protect me from embarrassing myself. Oh, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, trying to, you know, whatever, dot, dot, dot. And I think for me, when I learned that about myself, um, probably, two years ago that's just allowed me to just grow in self-compassion because those behaviors that I don't like and that I don't resonate with that I sometimes do um instead of me hating them and kind of splitting off away from them and thinking well that part of me is bad that part of me is evil I actually now have compassion for that part right yeah it's like that part of me is wounded like and and it like and so it's everything you just said it's so true you have so much more self-compassion and instead of living life in this like self-judgment self-deprecation you can look at those parts of yourself and be like oh I reacted this way because it was a response to this trauma I didn't really mean to react this way right like yeah I use this example a lot with clients when they're like frustrated for example when their when their partner won't do chores around the house right the typical thing that we have in relationships and they're like I'm so angry and I'm like okay well anger is a surface level emotion but what are you really feeling and when we get down to it it's typically not anger it's typically that they feel unseen that they feel unheard that they feel like disposable and those are the feelings and this anger is this surface level reaction but the actual feeling is a wound and then when you explain that to a partner and you're like oh, I actually wasn't mad that you didn't take the trash out for three days. I was, I felt really unseen and that really hurt me. Yeah. That allows them to respond in love too. So you're changing the whole narrative because instead of having this angered exchange, you're able to say like, oh, I understand. And I never, none of us want to make our partners feel unseen or unheard, right? Mm -hmm. So once you hear that, you're like, you have so much more compassion and love and that whole exchange changes. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way to start battling our own shame as well. Because when we understand like, oh, I didn't just react because you didn't take the bins out. I'm not this horrible, aggressive person. Well, actually, you know, this is why I did it. And I understand that. And it prevents that, that shame building. And I think that's really important. Totally. It's so true. A great resource for that too. If anyone likes a book, Hold Me Tight is a, have you read that book? No, I will add oh, it to I my list. I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's called Seven Conversations. Or the, the subtitle is like Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. Um, the book is phenomenal because it really breaks down how 
in general, when we have arguments with people, I, I would say that even though she uses couples a lot in this example, you could use these for just relationships in general. And uh, she talks about like these seven conversations that we have that always end in arguments and how to change them and how to get really uh, clear on what your root level emotion is and how to explain that to someone. Um, and the book is phenomenal on reframing. I have all my couple clients read it. It's really, really transformative. Oh, amazing. Well, I'll definitely read that. I'm sure the listeners will love to as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to circle back to the pleasure practices for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so are these like daily practices? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a great question. Uh, so I, there's a couple answers to this because at the end of the day, it goes back to what feels in alignment with you and your body. And so at first, what I have clients do, um, is do a 14 day pleasure challenge. And if anyone's interested, I have the free workbook is on my website. Um, and it's 14 days where I challenge you to spend 60 minutes in pleasure practice total. So you can spread that out however you want. You can do five minutes a day. You can do 60 minutes total, whatever you want and whatever feels good for you. But just 60 minutes over 14 days in intentional pleasure. And for people that maybe are at the beginning phases of uh, like starting out, um, I would say that 14 day, like 60 minutes every two weeks is like very doable. I would say though, the more you get into it, the more you should be expanding that time. Um, I love spending, like, I think I, I just live my life in pleasure to be really honest. <laughs> I don't know that there's time limits on it because like, even this morning I was walking my dog and um, I'm just like, I had like a kind of crazy morning with some construction going on outside my condo and I'm just walking my dogs and I like took a moment and put my hand on my chest and just like breathed really deeply and felt the breeze on my skin. And I was like, this is pleasure. And I was walking and I'm like walking and thinking my body, like, thank you for moving. And like, all of that was pleasure. I'm drinking my coffee now. And I'm like, this tastes so good. This is pleasure. And so I, I think you can get to this point where you just live your whole life is pleasure. And it's like, I'm not intentionally chunking out time anymore because it's yeah. kind of just become a routine. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful because it is almost like turning up the volume on the capacity to feel pleasure. So yeah, mm -hmm. in the beginning, you've got to practice, you've got to put the work in. Um, and then it just becomes automatic, like everything else that we do, but we just right. of drinking the coffee and thinking about something else, we're drinking it and noticing it. And yeah, that's so profound. I do, I do still get intentional with my masturbation practice though, because that is something that is really easy to like put on the back burner and really easy to be like, I don't have time or really easy to be like, let's just do this quick and like rub one out. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, that is one where I do like, that is still something that I am intentional with. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend, I typically do two days. I masturbate every day, but for, for particular pleasure practice where I'm spending time with my body two hours a week is like what I spend. And I'll either do 30 minutes and four days, or I'll do an hour and two days. And like, literally I'll just like touch my body, caress my body, get in touch with her and get attuned to her. Once again, not always orgasm, um, but just like the whole goal is just exploring and getting in tune with my body. That's something that I carve out time for because it's much more like I've got to turn off my email. I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to put on some music. I'm going to lay in bed or I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm like getting the dogs out of the room. They're not <laughs> <Yeah>. invited. <laughs> so, yeah. 
And I love your explanation of the way that you do um, the pleasure practice masturbation, because I do feel like we, we just as humans, we learn a way to masturbate that gets us there as quick as possible. And we do like the same thing all the time. And when I'm working with clients, I say, you know, how would it be to touch your body first? You know, when you're with other people, you have what we call foreplay, which I know for right. a lot of us is like the main play, but we call it foreplay. So you have the foreplay. Right. And um, in the foreplay, you know, you're touching, you're kissing, the nerve endings are waking up. But with masturbation, we're like, go, 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 go. Like get there as quick as you can. There's none of that pre, pre sensuality. Or even if we're thinking about the genitals specifically, or I'm going to talk about the vulva, yeah, you know, often it's straight onto the clitoris or for people who prefer internal it's straight into the vagina well how would it be to stroke the outside of your vulva how would it be to gently caress you know the labia the lips and things like that and get it used to and ready for the fact that something is about to happen instead of jumping in um and that could be a great way to kind of bridge that gap between doing something that you might already do and adding something new into your life by you know just expanding that practice Totally. It goes back to the fact that like pleasure has to be intentional. And if I'm just like robotically being like, I'm going to put this vibrator here or touch my clit this way, because I know I can come instantly. That's not really intentional, right? Intentionality is like taking time and foreplaying with yourself. Like the other day I was sitting in the bath and I was literally just like caressing my face and my lips. And I was just like, Oh my God, this feels so good. And I was like, couldn't stop touching my lips like a lover would. And yeah. I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm my own best lover. I've literally become my own best lover. And this is amazing. <laughs> yes. But we all should be. We should yes. be our own best lover. Yes. And I have a velvet exactly. sofa. And one day I was sitting there and I was rubbing my fingers along the crease, the edge of the sofa. And I was doing it for such a long time. And I was thinking, wow, this feels amazing. And all I was doing was just like rubbing my fingers on the sofa. And I was thinking, this could be really erotic. You know, that it was just felt so nice underneath my fingers. And it was something that was just such a nothing. You know, it, it was a nothing. Yeah. And if you weren't focusing, you wouldn't even notice. And I was thinking, wow, it shows how much is out there that has the potential to be pleasurable that we just haven't even noticed because we're not tuned in. Yeah, I mean, that's a a huge part of like um, being in the king community and like sensation play. It goes, that's like sensation play, you know? Mm. Um, and it's really fun how really small things can become really intense sensations, like a silk scarf rubbing on your breasts or a feather tickling your, your thighs. Like these small pieces of sensation can return into very erotic things. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all have this narrow mind of what can be erotic and it just takes a bit of unpicking, a bit of yeah. uncluttering to kind of realize, well, actually everything can be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can live in the erotic. That is possible to like live in eroticism. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> okay. I'm going to round up to keep the boundary of the yeah. time. I could talk to you. <laughs> for a I know, time. this is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you? Um, and yeah, to find that 14 day pleasure practice. That'll yeah. be awesome. um, it is on my website. So rachelovervall.com. And then also uh, all my social media handles are the same at Rachel Overvall. Um, I'm on TikTok and Instagram. 
I just got kicked off Pinterest because my quotes or like my little infographs that I created were too sexual. So I'm no longer on Pinterest. (sighs) I fucking hate the censorship that's going on for positive sexuality. It's so infuriating. It's becoming so problematic. Um, It's, oh, Oh, yeah, I hate it's it. So, so for the listeners who don't know, we're getting really yeah. censored with um, everything we're putting up. So we're having to like change the way we write sex and all these mm-hmm. things. Even though we're bringing positive and educational content, um, it goes against like Instagram algorithms and we can get shadow banned. We can get our mm-hmm. accounts canceled. So um, yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah. So if you're engaging in any like sex positive content, which I'm guessing you are because you're here and listening, <laughs> please like, like, share, repost because we are getting really scrutinized by the Instagram algorithm right now. And it's really hard to get, you know, the education out there that needs to be had in order to change this whole conversation. Um, yeah. So, um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok, uh, and then my website. So on my website, I have the 14 day pleasure challenge that's free. And then I also have, um, a 12 minute embodiment breathing practice that is on there for free too. So go check those out beautiful well I'm going to post all of that in the show notes page and it has been such a dream to have you on thank you Becky it's been awesome to be on 